welcome and thanks for tuning in to Real People, Real Talk. Relevant conversations that take you from surviving to thriving. This is the podcast that goes there. My name is Paul Calco and I'm your host. Now let's talk. Hello, Thriver, and happy December. As 2020 comes to a close, I'm bringing you the best content to end this year with a bang. And if you have been enjoying the show, yo, be sure to share this podcast with your friends. As a matter of fact, go ahead and text a link to three of your friends, inviting them to check out this podcast right now. I'll wait. Now I'm just playing. But thank you in advance for doing that. But now let's talk. My guest today is a husband, father, author, and the current president of the Southern Baptist Convention, which is the largest Protestant denomination in the United States. J.D. Greer currently pastors the Summit Church, which is one of the fastest growing churches in North America. So after J.D. returned from serving two years as a missionary in Southeast Asia, he was desperately trying to figure out what God wanted him to do with the rest of his life. But then he had epiphany. The words from John Piper's message to college students back in 2000 changed everything. And these words were your life counts. Don't waste it. And that's our message to you today. Now he wants to pass along this message and this challenge to every single Christian Asking them the question, which is the title of his book, What Are You Going to Do With Your Life? So welcome to the show, Pastor J.D. Greer. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Paul. Most definitely. So I recently read your book. It says, what are you going to do with your life? And once I read that, I was like, I have to have him on the show because in all honesty, I was both inspired and convicted when I read your book. And I want to leave that link in the show notes for the listener check to check out. And it also is so timely because as we move into 2021, I think it's time and maybe even past time that we really think through and pray through that question of your book. Like, what are you going to do with your life? But before we get into the contents of your book, 2020 is an election year. The election mm. has happened and is talking about leadership and the presidents. I want to ask you, like, what is it like being the 62nd president of the Southern Baptist Convention. <laughs> I feel like it's a whole subject for another podcast. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, um, it's uh, obviously any type of leadership is challenging, particularly when you've got um, really strong opinions and people with good opinions and, and, and good convictions. I mean, most people that I know that um, have political convictions, whatever side they come down on, have good valid reasons why they do that and trying to persuade people that we can agree on biblical values we can stand united on things like the sanctity of life the wickedness of any kind of discrimination the value of religious liberty but you know you can also disagree on the best political calculus to use and accomplishing those things and while you may have convictions as to why your political calculus is the wisest one that doesn't have to be an issue that should break fellowship between us and i think a lot of people love to take those secondary and tertiary things and make them the primary thing and i always tell people i i choose as a leader of a local church and as a leader now of you know forty-six thousand churches i choose not to make politics um, and my political convictions, a first order issue, not because I don't think it's important, but because I think the gospel that I preach and the um, the mission that I'm a part of is that much more important. 
Um, surely the gospel has social implications. You know, I, I don't want to, I don't want to not say that, but I, I want to be able to say that we can unite on questions of justice and morality and the urgency of the gospel, even when we disagree on who best in the White House or in the Senate would accomplish, you know, the best uh, coalition of those values. <laughs> You're right. That could be an entire different episode. And I thank you for <laughs> indulging me in the questions. Yep. I believe that there's a lot more they would have to agree with than we do have to di- disagree with through the blood of Jesus Christ. And mm-hmm. we're going to dive right into the content of your book. Um, but the, what, for the person that hasn't read it yet, and I use the term yet because I want you guys to read it, um, give them just a snapshot of what the book is about. The book is a question that I think everybody has to ask at some point in their life, and that is, what are you doing with your life? You know, what's when you get to the end of your life and you look back at it five minutes on the other side of eternity, are you going to feel like you wasted your life or are you going to feel like you look at it and you say that was that was worth it? Um, I start by basically telling a story of a sermon I heard 20 years ago preached by John Piper. Um, It was at Passion. The year was 2000. And John Piper stood up in front of 40,000 college students and just said, you know, what do you think a wasted life is? And he told two different sets of stories. One was about a couple of 80-year-old women from his church who died on a, on a mission trip. And everybody in the community thought that was such a tragedy. Um, he said, compare that to a, a couple that uh, had it all. I mean, they you know, were able to retire early, were able to buy a yacht and sail around to different islands collecting seashells. And I just remember him at the end of that message, talking about the waste of a life of that latter couple, the richer couple who had accomplished all the American dream, because what are they going to take with them into eternity? Um, only one life to live will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And I know not everybody's called to be a full-time overseas missionary. I know not everybody's called to go into ministry, but God has called us and equipped us to make an impact on eternity. And I just don't want people to get to the end of their life and realize that they wasted their life. So whether you're an architect, a doctor, a homemaker, an educator, a college student looking out on the future, what are you doing with your life? And are you arranging it according to the values that'll make it have eternal significance? Man, so, so much to, to unpack there. I love how you title your book with the question there really to, to make the, the reader to really think, because I believe there's a lot of people that's that's walking around um, and they they desire to walk in purpose and they want to discover, you know, God's will for their life. Like it like it's some mysterious thing. And some would say that they're waiting on a voice or waiting on a sign or waiting on a call. But uh, one of the, my favorite quotes from your book is you said, don't wait for a voice because God has already given you a verse. Uh, J.D., you could just unpack that a little bit. Yeah. So, um, you know, the good thing is that the generation of college students that's graduating from college, whether they're Christians or not, they're a very cause driven generation. True. And if you I actually talk about this um, study in the book that 20 years ago, if you ask college students what they're most looking for in life, they're going to say something about fulfillment and achieving financial goals. Today, they all want to talk about making a difference in the world. And whether that's, you know, ridding the world of plastic straws or whether that's you know, uh, stopping sex trafficking in in certain parts of you know Central Asia. I mean, these are all worthy goals, right? But for the follower of Jesus, um, one goal should outweigh all of those, and that is people having a chance to hear the message of the gospel and respond to it. Um, that doesn't delegitimize, you know, any of the other things that we do to help alleviate suffering. I mean, we need to do that. But if the gospel is true, then there's one thing that matters most, and that is is what somebody does with, with Christ. And so um, 
you don't need a voice, you need a verse, basically means God has said what he wants the world to know. Uh, the Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Um, this is the will of God. Uh, God is not willing that any should perish. A lot of Christians, when um, th their attitude is, um, God just wants me to, you know, get a job, go to church, be a good person, tithe. And if he wants me to do something more significant, then he'll tell me. Mm. And, and that's kind of waiting on that voice. And I say, no, he's already given you a verse. He's not willing that any should perish. He wants all to come to repentance. So the question is not if you're called. The question is only where and how. The, the, you know, the question of calling has already been settled. When you started to follow Jesus, he said, follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men. That's Matthew 419. That's your verse. So it's already settled what you're called to. You're supposed to be a fisher of men bringing people to Jesus. Question is not if, it's just where and how. When you accepted Jesus, you accepted the call to be used by him um, to make a, a, an eternal difference. And, and, and so that, that, that that's where that comes from. And so many tweetable quotes in that one little in that one sound bite and it's so cool jd that everybody has a part to play in god's global plan of redemption both inside and outside of the church and um like a follow-up question similar to to maybe similar to what you answered but even more specifically i feel like a lot of us today i work with college students and young adults a lot of us today desire to hear the voice of god and so i know god speaks but could you yep. break it down? Like, how does God speak to us today? <laughs> um, that's a great question. Um, and, you know, obviously we don't want to put God in a box and say, God, this is exactly what you do every time. But um, over the years, um, just through study of scripture and a little reflection on my own experience and the experience of other great Christians, I know there seem to be a handful of ways biblically that God speaks. First of all, obviously it's through his word. You know, that's, that's where that's, and that's the one, ironically enough, most people overlook the most is that you cannot know the voice of God any more than you know the word of God. The second is through the church. Um, you know, throughout the book of Acts, God will use people in his church to speak words to you of direction and wisdom at just the right time. Uh, great example of this Acts 13 2. Um, the apostle Paul, when it's time for him to go on a mission trip with Barnabas. Um, he doesn't, the Holy Spirit doesn't reveal it through a warm, fuzzy feeling in Paul's, you know, chest. Right. He, he says to the church, separate Barnabas and, and Paul, which means that if you have separated yourself from intimate connection to a local church, you've cut yourself off from the voice of God. So stop whining about, you know, stop whining about God not speaking to you if you've cut yourself off from the means that he uses to do that. Um, that's a, a third one is through like gifts and passions and yearnings that he puts in your own heart. Um, good biblical example. There's numerous ones, but Nehemiah two twelve. You know, Nehemiah goes to build the walls in Jerusalem. Um, you know, there's no place in the entire book of Nehemiah where God speaks audibly to Nehemiah. All the closest you get is Nehemiah two twelve, where Nehemiah says, "God put it on my heart. He broke my heart about the walls being torn down in Jerusalem." And Nehemiah correctly interpreted that as God urging him that way. Um, a fourth way is going to be through um, through your circumstances. You just how God will sometimes arrange certain things. And you look back over your life and you see that God has kind of written this story and you can start to see God has arranged. God has called me to do this by the things that he's he said. So um, that would be four that I would just kind of really quickly gut reaction sort of, you know, throw out there his word, the church um, circumstances and um, it kind of the, the stuff he puts in your your heart through through prayer and through the spirit. Um, there's a good place to start. Uh, I, I get into that a little bit in the book, and then I, I give you a few resources of places you can press in deeper if you got an appetite for more. 
most most definitely. And God is so cool, JD, that I he as we go through those steps, God will reveal his will to us. Like I've heard it said in church, but I have yet to find the verse. And so I don't really believe it. Say God works in mysterious ways. God is clear. <laughs> right. Exactly. Clear in his word. Yeah, that's right. That's right. There's a lot of stuff we make up and then thrust into the Bible because it feels good, right? That is so <laughs> good. And it's a it, it should be something where we should when people say something, we should fact check it in God's word. Like I tell the college students that I minister to all the time. Like if I ever say something that comes off heretical or cloudy, like you have permission as my brother or sister in Christ to check me in a loving way, but to check me. And so yeah. I love that list that you gave. And I don't think I would add to that. Uh, I heard it from my dad and it lines up with what you said. My dad, Pastor Leonard Calco, he said, if you want to hear God speak, open up his word. Yep. He's already talking. That's right. He's already talking every time. Most yeah, definitely. Good stuff. And there's this, this myth in the church. I feel like our conversation is about unpacking and debunking, but I love it. There's this myth in the church that only pastors and church staff are called to do God's work. So Pastor J.D., please debunk that myth. <laughs> yeah, now you're speaking my language now. I think this is kind of the, uh, the life message that God has given me is that it's one of the worst myths that a handful of us through a supernatural experience where God writes out a, a message to us in our Cheerios one morning, spells out, you know, this is what I want you to do. Um, by all means, if God writes something into your Cheerios, you should pay attention to it. But let's just say that that's not the norm, right? I've stared at my Cheerios for years and all they ever spelled out was, ooh, you know, over and over and over again. So I just, that's that not good. the norm. Um, but this idea that God has called you and equipped you to make an eternal difference is from every page, I would say, of the New Testament is going to reinforce that, is that he has a role for you. And so one of the things that we explain, particularly to college students, since you you mentioned those that you work with, is we say, you know, discovering the call of Jesus means figuring out what God has made you good at, which is not necessarily preaching or writing. You know, it might be architecture or law, like you know, I mentioned education. Um, whatever you're good at, you should do that well to the glory of God, but also do it somewhere strategic for the mission of God. Of all the factors that go into where you pursue your career, why wouldn't the mission of God be the largest of those factors? Why is it something you don't even think about? And so I, you know, we really challenge students at our church to spend the first two years after they graduate um, prioritizing getting a job in a place where they can be a part of one of our church plants. And so with this book, um, what I'm trying to do is challenge all students to think that way. Like, why not make the kingdom of God the most shaping factor in where you choose to, to pursue your career? You may not be the lead pastor, but God has a role for you there, and it's going to be so incredibly rewarding. In fact, to go kind of varsity level with you, Paul, um, some of the most unreached places around the world where Christ is not even known. Um, are not accessible by people that graduated from seminary and are full-time professional pastors, but they are open to doctors and businessmen and sports marketing. And we, we had a guy just go from our church to um, a, a, a place in the Middle East where there's hardly any gospel presence. He went with a part of one of our church plants and he, he was, he took his sports marketing career there and he was able to, to work, you know, and, and, and create a, a small business, and he is there sharing the gospel now, today, in in places wow. that we could not get missionaries because he leveraged his career for it. I, too often we make our plans 
just thinking about just trying to synthesize what you just said too often. I feel like we make our plans and we go to God and say, hey, God, bless it. But I feel like we should go to God and say, what are your plans for my life? Right. Because it's already blessed. And we just join in with God's activity. And I agree with what you're saying, because I believe we need more Christians in places of media, um, politics, sports and art everywhere, really, because Every, everywhere, really, exactly like you said, some places where we as seminary trained pastors can't go, others with other degrees and backgrounds that they can go. Um, I love, I have a friend, he has his YouTube channel called Kicknology, and he uses a YouTube channel. Um, he's a sneakerhead and to, to share the gospel. And the hashtag is, is bait to share my faith. So, for all those people that like tennis shoes and the new releases and all that stuff that I don't know that much about. He has a channel about it, but he used it as a bait to share his his faith because there's a lot of work to be done inside and outside of the church. And the church, and I believe you would agree to this, it should be a mission sending agency, and we should view our gifts and our passions as opportunity to minister to those specific places and stages and spaces and niches as well. So right. everything that you said, my brother. Yeah, and so I think you covered a couple of really important things here. I want to make sure that. I guess your listeners heard from you is it starts with that moment of total surrender. You're absolutely right. That a lot of people kind of come to God with their plans and say, God, I want you to bless this. Um, God only accepts full and unconditional surrender where you say, here's my career. Here's all my dreams, all my ambitions, all of it. I forever lay at the feet of Jesus and all that I am, all that I have, all that I ever hope to be, I give to you forever. And God may send you to a place. that's not cool to live in. You know, we always you know, that's kind of the new thing right now. It's, you know, I want to be fulfilled and I want to live in an awesome place, but the places that need the gospel the most are places that are not fun to live in. And God may, may direct you there, but just because they need to hear. Um, but after you come to that point of surrender, then looking at what God has placed in your hands in terms of gifts and abilities, uh, I love Proverbs twenty nine twenty two because it says, do you see a man who is skillful in his work? He will do that work before Kings. And I'm like, God made some of you so good at what you do that you're going to stand before unreached kings and leaders, and they're going to listen to you because of how good you are at your career. So leverage this. You, what if the primary reason God made you good at that was for the purposes of the Great Commission and not just so you could have a fat 401k and, and you know a, a mountain house and a business house? Nothing wrong with that, but what if the primary reason was the Great Commission? Mm, I know this is a, a podcast, and we, we're publishing the auto um, the audio only, but I'm over here shaking my head and trying to cover my <laughs> mouth as I say, amen, because it, you're right. It starts with full surrender. And I, I just wonder, and I want to ask you this as I wonder, like, what, what would the world look like if every single believer mm-hmm. saw the Great Commission as their responsibility yep. and not the responsibility of the next person, but their own? Yeah, man. No, you're exactly right. In fact, if you go back and study the first, the early church, I think I talk about this in the book. Um, if not, I'm talking about it now. The uh, you know that that when you look at the total number of Christians in 99 AD was 7,530. <laughs> I know that's an oddly specific number, but that's what sociologists say. 7,500. That's not that many right. when you think about it. Yeah, it's like only 7,500. Yet by the time you get to 325 AD, you know, 200 years later, that number is now over half the Roman Empire, several million. So how did you go from that to that when Christianity was a small persecuted group with no money and no people in Congress and no professional athletes? How how did that happen? And the answer was that every Christian saw it as their responsibility to plant churches everywhere they went, that it was that they were responsible for the Great Commission. 
Um, you see a great example of it. Um, the, the, you know, at the end of the, of the first century, there were three major church planting centers, three most influential Christian places in the world have become Antioch, Alexandria, and Rome. We don't have any idea who founded the churches in those three areas. The story of the founding of the church of Antioch is in Acts 11, and all it says is that some brothers came there and planted a church in the hand of the Lord. Some brothers, Paul is Luke, the writer of Acts. That's his way of saying a bunch of guys whose names I'm not going to mention because you're never going to hear from them again anyway. They're like, you know, like actor number three or, or bystander number three in the, in, in the credits. They're just a bunch of guys and men and women who showed up there and said, it's our responsibility to plant a church. That church would one day send out the apostle Paul. It's ordinary people that live for with great commission focus. They're the ones who make the difference in the world. Yeah. So we have a couple of more questions, but you already have your marching orders that every <laughs> single Christian should take the great commission and the call to share the gospel personally. And I'm just that nowadays everybody wants to be quote unquote successful, but it really boils down to how you define that. Is it an American dream or is it the gospel? We, we know the answer is obviously the gospel. Practically speaking, what does success look like for the believer? Yeah, success looks like when you get to the end of your life, um, Acts 7, you see Jesus standing up to receive you home, and he says, well done. You fulfilled the role that I had you. Um, Paul, in one of his sermons, talks about King David, and all it says is he fulfilled his purpose in his generation, and then he fell asleep. And I'm like, man, what a great summary. If J.D. Greer fulfilled his purpose in his generation, whether that's big or small, whether people knew my name or they didn't, I fulfilled the role that I was supposed to play, and then I, I died. Uh, one of the stories I tell in the book is from a guy that you probably never heard of, but he's had a big impact on all of our lives. His name was Count Nicholas von Zinzendorf, and he was one of the first um, missionaries to really directly evangelize the United States. He had a vision for it, and um, he's a very rich guy that just got a, his heart broken over the lostness of the world, and he mobilized a generation of young Germans or people around the region of Germany to just live their lives for the Great Commission. And his kind of one-line motto was preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. And I thought, that's my that's my definition of success. Preach the gospel, die, be forgotten. That's it. <laughs> and, and we don't have to complicate it. That's, that's right. good. <laughs> I want to make sure everybody in my circle has heard the gospel and had a chance to respond. Then I want everybody in my city. And as um, Keith Green, the old songwriter, a Christian songwriter, used to say, this generation of Christians is responsible for this generation of souls and people all over the world. They've got to hear it from our mouth if they're going to hear it and believe. That is incredible because it makes me think and I hope it makes the listener think as believers, we need to once again, just take the Great Commission personally. It's not for you know, just the authors or the podcasters or the pastors and the missionaries, but it's for every single believer. And mm -hmm. uh, another one of my favorite quotes from your book, I believe it was in, in chapter two, you said something about making the most of your mist. And I just had to kind of like put the book down for a minute and just think about that. And what does that, what does that mean? <laughs> James 4.14 says, our life is like a mist. It's a vapor that appears for just a moment. You think about how short life is and how foolish it is to spend your whole life trying to you know act as if that mist is is everything that you're you know, you've been created for god created you to leverage time for eternity to use this short life to impact 
you things forever. I, one of the chapters in the book that's my personal favorite, it's called Kick Your Bucket List. And it's the idea that most people have a bucket list of all these things they want to do before they die, because after you die, you'll never have a chance to do them again. Problem with that is it just totally ignores what the Bible teaches us about the new heavens and the new earth. And the new heavens and the new earth is not like us sitting, you know, as a bunch of naked baby angels and diapers with nerf bows and arrows, you know, on clouds, colorless clouds playing harps. The new heavens and new earth is like it's a renewed it's a better version of everything we have down here, which means if you don't get to climb the earthly Mount Everest, one day you can climb the heavenly one. Um, you know, whatever you you miss out on Earth, you get a better, a, a perfected, a resurrected version of up there. So I don't need to worry about um, things that I didn't get to experience on Earth because I didn't, you know, pile up a bunch of money or live out a bunch of experiences. I want to use the however long God gives me, whether that's one more day or you know forty more years. I want to do the one thing with that time that I cannot do in eternity, and that is bring lost people to Jesus Christ. That's a that's a a life that's not wasted. Is a life spent bringing people to Jesus. Hashtag Amen. <laughs> Hashtag No Cap. As the young people will say, and one quote I, I want to pull out from there it was so much, but this this one I just want to repeat for the listener: God created you to leverage time for eternity and so once again well not once again because this is one of the episodes where i think you probably want to listen to it one more time because we're talking about purpose we're talking about calling we're talking about the title of the book but the question you need to ask yourself what are you going to do with your life and and finally jd i ask this this uh question of every guest it's kind of like the flagship question here at real people real talk and how can my listener go from surviving to thriving Surviving to thriving, you can um, put up the goal of surviving and thriving and just seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you, right? You see the ironic thing. You want to thrive, you get there by, you get there by embracing Jesus and Jesus, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. I love the equation I, I saw repeatedly in your book. And so there you have it. You, you just want to end with a question. What are you going to do? with your life. Once again, check the show notes because I want to have the link to Pastor JD's book. I would encourage you um, to read. I feel like I'm a better, I just a better person, but a better Christian because of that, as I just live my life with eternity in mind. So Pastor JD, thank you so much for joining the show. Man, thank you for having me on. It's been an honor. You've done a great job. Thank you. But thank you so much for tuning in. And in our next episode, we are going there and we are discussing ways that we all can beat the holiday blues. But until then, go be all that God has called you to be.